keepers of the word. We are an esoteric study group of Freemasons whose purpose is of sharing knowledge of mystery schools and debunking misconceptions about Freemasonry. You're here with Mike and James this evening. How's it going? Um, disclaimer, any of the opinions expressed on Keepers of the Word do not reflect the opinions of other organizations or Masonic Lodges. Uh, today we have our special guest with us, Brother Max Paul. That's right. All right. Well done. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Max, and uh, what you're here to talk about today. How's that sound? Okay. Um, well, uh, Max, Maximilian Paul, I mean, I... I'm here to talk about the Order of the Temple of Astarte. Uh, it a, it's a fraternal and initiatory uh, magical society started by um, uh, Carol Poke Runyon in 1970, roughly about then. I, actually, I think it was exactly 1970. We're coming up on, I think, our 50th anniversary now, which is really quite exciting. Um, I, was obviously, I was actually born here in the States, but I was raised in Australia, hence the strange and obnoxious accent. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've always uh, had a deep interest in metaphysical subjects and still maintain that, of course. Um, and that kind of led me into, when I moved back here to um, kind of get to know my father's side of the family, um, I had the opportunity to join the order, finally. I'd first heard about it, of course, like many people do through YouTube, uh, when they stumble upon um, the, um, the secrets of Solomon's, the dark mirror of Solomon's magic, when they see uh, Poke do his, uh, his documentary that he did some time ago. Um, and I thought that was fantastic. Uh, before that, I was a little bit more of a milquetoast mysticist, I suppose you could say. Um, and it, I, I, I got more interested in his methodologies, and then through that I got more interested in other things, and, and um, I took the opportunity when I was here to shoot a couple of emails, and that's pretty much how you join the OTA. You uh, go to the website, you email Poke, and he'll get back to you sometime. sometime. <laughs> no, he's he's he's, all right. he's pretty good at that. Um, sometimes he'll he'll miss it though. I think he missed my first email, but he got my second one, which was great, um, and. Then he'll in, he'll invite you to join the associate member pathway program. It's almost like a zeroth degree in the order as the associate members program, where you you'll join, and it's like uh, this is this is one of the differences between the OTA and I think a lot of mystical societies. I think I, one of the, if I can spoil one of the questions you actually had written in here for me was something to do with how do you know uh, you know how do you know you're not being conned at some point? Well, suffice to say, you never really can 100 percent. You got to follow your gut, right? But the OTAs, for instance, if you look at something and it has a ridiculously high initiatory fee, you know, alarm bells start to ring. And I remember when I joined, it was ten dollars a year, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it come and it came with. These days, it's thirty-five dollars, and it comes with two books, a bunch of instructional DVDs, and things like that. And that's, you know, an, an introduction to the order, the things that we, the the, the systems that we use, and yeah, it's. Um, so pretty much just covering the cost of the... It actually more than covers the cost of the books. The books okay. and the DVDs together, I believe, are actually more than $35 uh, put together. So Pope, Pope likes new people joining, so, so he likes to encourage that. So how did, how did Pope... What was the inception of the order? Um, 
how did Pope come up with the idea? What was you, what's the history of, of the OTA? I asked him that the other night, actually, in preparation. Um, and all I can say is, um, you would be best served really grilling him and putting his feet to the fire over that because it was an ocean of information that I could not retain. But, I mean, he comes from a, a like that sort of, that, I guess they're the old guard now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, after Crowley, Rigardi, and the first golden dawn of Lucy in the early part of the 20th century, and then you have the mid part of the 20th century, the psychedelics and things like that, just following that and just before the satanic panic, um, there were a bunch of orders, obviously, which got, got started, and Pokes was this sort of, was the, you know, sort of a, the, the, one of the L.A. notorious orders that got started. And, the, and a lot of the, um, the stuff that we do in the OTA is very, very similar to what he did to start off with because it's obviously as authentic, it's, it's sort of authentic grimoire type magic with a certain amount of Pokes, um, uh, Pokes anthropological and philosophical ideas thrown into that. Um, he, he's a, he, um, the type of magic is like a psycho-spiritual self deep dive into the subconscious. That's the, the aim and the goal of it and the theory behind it. <clears throat> the idea that the, um, the genie of King Solomon's mirror are aspects of the human mind. It's um, more of like higher magic. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. High high that. magic, which is pretty. It's hard sometimes to find a really good high magic society, mm -hmm. you know, because um, they often form and then dissolve, and they'll form around a group of people who come together and they decide to have it. Um, I know of a, a few societies. I think there's one I've, I I don't know a great deal about, but I know it's called Gents for Job. I think it's. So I think it might have been somewhere in Texas or something like that, and it's. Um, one of my favorite authors, um, uh, Fred Arshin Chasson, um, is, uh, is a member of that, I believe, as is a few occult authors of today. Um, and I know that they, whether you're a guy or a girl and you join the Gents for Jove, you dress up in a suit, you go there, smoke cigars, and you do jovial-type magic. And that's a thing. And, it's, uh, and I, I don't know how um, formalized any of that is for them. It sounds like an enjoyable gentleman's club. But Polk's concept is has always been about forming a a structured methodical system almost like a martial art type system where you go and grade by grade you are exposed and slowly um, initiated into deeper levels of western ritual mystical tradition which includes the philosophy as well as the practice and you only ever go as far and as fast as you feel as though you can go um, the system itself, uh, Poke, when he uh, first wanted to create a real systematic approach, he, um, he discovered, um, rediscovered in one of, um, uh, oh God, I can't remember the book's name, uh, but it's written about, Manly P. Hall writes about it, it's a, it's a discipline called the Crater Rapoa, it's an old Freemasonic kind of system which at the time claimed to be a recreation of the initiation into the pyramids. Okay. So it's meant to hail providence from the ancient epoch of Egypt where, you know, the mystery religions beneath the Sphinx, however you will. But um, 
who knows? It was definitely from the late 1700s, so the 18th century sometime, yeah. uh, roughly in the early days of when Freemasonry was coming together. And it, yeah, and it was, it was one of those uh, developed and then not used um, things. Like, it probably would have become... It would have been like, you know, like a Scottish rite or something like that, you know, like the Scottish rite or the York rite or something like that. It had the opportunity in the early days to maybe become something like that, uh, but obviously it was never picked up, probably. Maybe it just wasn't flush, fleshed out right. These things come and go with uh, the very easily in the early days with their, uh, the, um, you could say, the inspiration of the people who came up with it and the people who immediately around them to keep it going which is another reason why magical societies often fall by the wayside. Um, they'll form and then they'll fall apart. And as I say, the o OTA has been going, trucking along for 50 years and it's, it's doing pretty well, I'd say. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, we, you know, the thing I think about any type of group of people that get together and form, whether it be a society or a friendship or a fellowship or a, a club or whatever is that is that those like-minded people have to keep a keep an energy going that will perpetuate and continue to grow and and flourish and and when they don't or they get bored or decide to go a different route or or this wasn't the journey they expected they they dissolve and then yeah or there's no lineage yeah they yeah. need the lineage yeah we, we actually need more lineage, you know, we need something to follow up, like you said, the old guard, you know, there, there needs to be a follow up with that. Yeah. So how often, um, is this just a, is it something that happens ceremonially, ceremonially just on certain, um, certain holy days or certain? We have, we celebrate five specific events throughout the year. Okay. Um, four uh, of them was the equinox and the solstices, okay. so those four. And we also do a, 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 a uh, kind of like a, something called moat mass, which is sort of like a day of the dead. It's uh, so a celebration of ancestors and, um, oh, yeah, it's a celebration of sort of the ancestors and, and a remembrance of those who've, who've passed. So, um, but the, the seasonals are essentially a, a dramatization that anyone can really come along to so long as they've been invited, which is to say you say you want to come along and RSVP and then you can, can you know, get the address and come along. And you just, you know, ask and Be you shall receive. You know. you Be courteous, <laughs> so don't be obnoxious. Come along and have fun and have something to eat and chat. Um, you'll never find a more amazing group of like-minded people. I remember the first time I went to one of these, um, <laughs> um, I was... I wanted to be like I, I remember coming to the door and um, and knocking on the door and 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 Poke answered it and I was like oh, Poke Runyon I, I, I it's an honour to meet you he was like oh just go upstairs they're upstairs and he came out essentially uh, like just he'd just been sleeping and trying to rest and he'd come out and he was and and I'd woken him up and I went upstairs to chat with him and I was like, I was like, it's an honor. He's like, just go upstairs. Like, that was very funny. But I, but I remember at the end of it when everyone was there that um, like there was like 30 people there at that stage. It was a, that was a big one, actually. Um, I remember that I wanted to be a part of every single conversation that was going on simultaneously, which was amazing. 
you know, most of the time when you're interested in any of these sort of things, you find yourself somewhat of a natural outcast. It's rare to find a, a, like a place uh, where you 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 um, keen on absolutely everything that's going on. You want to be a part of absolutely, every, absolutely everything that's going on. And I think that's one of the most important things about a mystical society for today is that in the age of information that there really are no secrets. I mean, there are, but you, you can't really keep secrets these days. We do, like in, in Freemasonry, we, we, we choose to keep secrets. And I feel that's a, a point of integrity for us, is that we choose not to reveal things which essentially you could probably find out if you really wanted to dig, but we choose to keep them. And that's the same in any society, but when it comes to information, in ancient times, obviously, you would join a mystery tradition and they would have information, sometimes even education. Mm -hmm. And without joining, without saying, yes, sir, you wouldn't be able to get that education. These days, education is just at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips. And a society's purpose, in fact, has a more important role, and that is the community and the society that you join. And in that case, when it comes to joining a society like that, you need to feel out the group that you're joining. It's essentially, it is like joining like a martial arts if you are inclined. You know, you need to get a feel for the instructor, you need to get a feel for the, the atmosphere of the training, because in the end, as many advanced martial artists will say, it's not really down to the martial art, it's down to the practitioner. Right, how much and, work you want to put in. Yeah, and it's the same thing in, in the, I mean, you're gonna, really, you're gonna end up reading a lot of the same books regardless of whatever mystical society that you join, whether it's the OTO, the OTA, Golden Dawn, or what, what have you, you're probably going to end up having a rather pretty and wonderful library, and hopefully you'll have read at least half of the books that you've purchased, um, <laughs> which is unlikely, but you know, you'll try. Uh, and you'll generally read the same things, and that's one of the great things about being a part of the, being a part of, the, of, of a community like that is, especially when it's a structured community where you can keep in touch with everyone is essentially you could in fact form little clicks for a short period of time just to do reading assignments. You know, you give each other, excuse me, you, you'll do like, you know, I'll read the three books of Agrippa and you can read all the works of Paracelsus or something like that. We'll come together, we'll chat about them and we'll compare. And that's something that you can do and I think that's a real, a, a really beneficial thing to be able to do, to discuss perspectives on these things, get someone else's perspective. Ultimately, when it kind of comes to anything mystical, uh, any real high magic mystical society has the problem of it's essentially like herding cats. Everyone's so individual. <laughs> Everyone is so individual it's very, it's very accurate. that it's sort of like, and that's for me. That for me, that's really what the OTA is: is the way we herd cats, is we have a. A Neo-Phoenician system of ceremonial, seasonal ceremonies, and the Krata Rapoa and the OTA, where a lot of things have been synthesized. Both the Golden Dawn has been synthesized, traditional ritual magic has been synthesized, some of the Eastern sort of systems of chakra meditation have been synthesized into the Kabbalah as best as we can. No one's going to be perfect at doing any of that. The systems may or may not have meant to have been synthesized together, but they do work and pair quite well together when you try. And when you're mixing all of this together, it's sort of like it's like the dinner bell for, for people, where they come together, where they, you know, they, whether often or infrequently, 
to share what they've been doing, to network further with other people of like minds, and to continue their spiritual growth that way. So that's awesome. So we have a question. Uh, Go on. People are asking, uh, what was your most memorable moment, uh, or life-changing memorable moment, working with Pope? When working with Pope specifically? Specifically, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe you don't know, but he's kind of you know historical figure. Yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of people like Pope. A lot of people, I mean, he's he's he, he he's up there, right? A lot of people talk about him yeah. in the community. Oh yeah. Um, I know I was happy to to meet him at Esotericon. I followed a lot of his work for since I was like a kid. I assume they mean like magical, mystical. Um, yeah, just thing. what's the most memorable, life-changing moment in working with Pope? <sighs> go upstairs, everybody. Yeah, go up upstairs. <laughs> just get out of here. <laughs> Shake it's, your hand later. Um, there are several, um, like the the grades that we have. Um, um, in the Crater Rapoa, the way that Polk has restructured them, and he said it's the Crater Rapoa Reformado, so it's a re- reformation of it. I mean, it can't actually be the the Crater Rapoa as it was exactly, uh, partially because there are, you know, there's like poisonous snakes involved and things like that. And you're like, well, no, of course they're not going to throw poisonous snakes at the initiate. Right. Um, the initiates used to die going through these exactly. Well, it thought they were meant to kind of have that. Obviously, it right. was meant to be some kind of like Golden Dawn semi pageant that Freemasons could put themselves through mm. back in the days where they might have been able to be a little bit more, um, you, know, you know, maybe throw a snake that doesn't have teeth. There you go. Right. Um, but they don't know it's that. still the fray. Yeah. But we back, back in the day, um, the day, like I was there. Um, <laughs> um, back in, I mean, obviously in ancient Egyptian times, whatever the mystery traditions really were, we're obviously not entirely 100% sure. <laughs> if I can even approximate 50% sure, 20% sure, 10% sure, we, we're not sure. But they certainly took it very seriously, very, very deadly seriously. It was uh, a religion that seemed to be predominantly for the royalty and the priests. And that's it. Oh. Well, Which, from okay. what I understand, the term magic is probably more of a modern interpretation of those schools or thought processes or philosophies, because I'm told that it was just spirituality. It, there, you know, whether or not there was even a word for it, this was just the the sequence of the way that these ancient mystery schools dealt with all of those different aspects of spirituality and magic and there really wasn't a specific kind of well when it comes to trying to analyze many of those the way in which things were analyzed in ancient times the cartesianization of information obviously rene descartes a relatively recent philosopher in the history of things the separation of church and state was a huge thing right I mean that was that was not a thing. That was not a thing for a for a very long period of time. It's arguably in some instances still not as much of a thing as I personally think it should be. But you know, again, these are getting into uh, interesting waters. But the separation of science into the various disciplines that science is well known for 
there weren't a thing. There just it wasn't a thing. Um, I would always recommend to any reader to get their hands on Sir James George Fraser's The Golden Bough. Yes. And he, he talks about it from essentially a sceptical perspective, and he presents many things. Uh, if you get especially the very long version, as I did to begin with, it is l almost literally like reading an encyclopedia. It's, it's a pretty thick book. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Um, it hurts to get through each chapter, but you really appreciate it when you do. Um, once you finally reach the end, you're like, oh, wow, that's great. It's like finally, it's like, you know when you swallow something and it gets slightly stuck in your throat and it slowly works its way down and you get, oh, okay, good, I'm, I feel good now. Yeah, that's like reading The Golden Bell. But it's very worth it. It's well worth it to sort of get into that idea of, uh, of the types of magical thinking. Now, whether, um, I guess you could say the difference between a skeptic and a magician is that to a, a magician, magical thinking is everything. it's not it's, it's a contemptful thing to say from a skeptic's point of view it's just magical thinking uh, from a magician's perspective it is well there is a reason we think that way there is, there is something to it something archetypal something uh, beneath everything um, and then if you were to say read if you were to read The Golden Bough and then you would read the books of Agrippa if you can then wade through that do get a to get a good translation. Uh, Donald Tyson's translation, do, do, do. Don't do again what I did and just get an actual version of Agrippa's old academic works and attempt to okay. read that. Whew. Sorry. <sighs> yeah, that I was... Um, old English. Yeah. Well, for yeah. me, Crowley is that read. Trying to read Crowley to me, it's just even something so small that he's written, it's like every single... Quatrain is just like this intense, like magical formula that he's going through during his writing process, and it it takes so much just to analyze some of those old writings, just to take it in and, and interpret what it is that you're trying to get out of it. Yeah, um, I mean Crowley was many things many. in his over the course of his life. Um, I think. Whatever he did, he was a controversialist. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and he delighted in that. He loved it. So, shock and all kind of yeah, he, he, he enjoyed that. Okay. So, what would you say would be your, your most memorable moment? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> oh, and I, I was, I'm sorry um, to whoever it was that, that asked, asked that question. I don't worry about who asked that. Uh, I think it was that person. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the red dragon. Red dragon. Oh, interesting. Question. Should I should I tie it into that grimoire? Yes. I don't know. Um, so, the red dragon is not by William Blake. That's the painting. I think the you're thinking of painting. the red dragon. The dragon rouge is a grimoire. Right, right. So no, one of the fast. Anyway, anyway, anyway. I'm getting sidetracked again. <laughs> Good times. Um, red dragon. So, <laughs> red dragon. <laughs> um, yeah. The some one of the most powerful initiatory experiences is our third degree. Uh, one of the most important things in ceremonial magic is the angels of ceremonial magic. Um, and in the third degree, one of the most important, anyone who's serious about occultism will come across the, I would, I would hazard to say the key, the central ritual of Western ceremonial magic, which is the knowledge and communication of the Holy Guardian Angel. Um, specifically, you might know it from the, Ab, the, the, the grimoire or the book of Abramelin, the mage. Mm -hmm. um, also, Liba Semech 
is uh, Crowley's book on that. It's slightly abridged. There are some uh, some more contemporary works. Just ho um, Holy Guardian Angel is a new work by Nephilim Press. I think it is in paperback now. Um, a series of accounts of modern uh, occultists. But our third degree is essentially a psycho-spiritually contracted version of that. Um, like it's obviously the Abramelin rite is like in the original version, the ritual itself takes it takes place over the course of a year and a half of like abstinence and self-deprivation, mm -hmm. slowly and gradually increasing. And there is true merit to that continued deprivation. Um, again, one of my favorite authors, Freda Ashton Chasson, wrote about the fact that he did his Abramelin retreat over the course of about 11 days, a little bit a week or something like that. But he had a he had been building up to that with a lot of various, just generally lifelong trauma and questioning and self-existentializing. I think I think I could be wrong if if, if I'm wrong, Freda. I'm sorry. Um, I might be getting your story confused with Rufus Opus. Um, but essentially it was like a, a like year long of just self-analyzing questioning and prayer and essentially it's a very it's it is the central ritual of most shamanic traditions so the abramelin rite is the central ritual of the western tradition only because it's the knowledge and communication of the like the the abrahamic idea of a holy guardian angel but when it comes to ancient greece it was like your personal daemon or when it comes to ancient egypt it would have been similar in uh, other shamanic traditions across the planet most of the initiate like the initiatory experience is going somewhere for a period of time don't come back until you've made contact with the other side hero's journey yeah. yeah and you stay there until you something happens and, you know, if you stay there long enough, you will sweat, you will bleed, you will cry, you will wail, you will hurt, and you will wonder what the hell you're doing there. And when you're ready to leave and you decide, no, I'm not going to leave, something happens. And uh, I would say that... That was the most impactful moment. I would say that would be the most impactful moment in the order. And it's built into the structure of the initiation. Uh, is this like the it is our third degree um, and it's like it's like the entirety of the third degree it's this retreat that you have to undergo in order to be eligible to then go to the fourth degree so it's like it goes first second third fourth but it's sort of like uh, the, you know that third is like this barrier this like emotional liminal barrier that's like boom you know so Uh, have you witnessed something happen that was paranormal or spiritual? <laughs> well, I'll drink to that. <laughs> so, when it comes to... Thank you again, Red Dragon. He's got um, a lot of questions. That's okay. It's good to have an active participant. Um, oh. Hello. Mm, 1992. Younger than me. That's depressing. So, um, yeah, get over 30, things start yeah. failing, and you're like, oh dear, here we go. Okay. Yeah, that's my kid's age. Yeah. Have I ever experienced anything paranormal? Or supernatural? Yes. Or spiritual? The answer is yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
There are, the order within the order, we take a lot of safeguards so that most of our experiences that we have tend to be more psychological in nature and explorative. It's more personal, right? Especially uh, when it comes to, for instance, our Enochian aethers mm. that, that, oh, wow. Like, we did all of the Enochian aethers, poke it, put them together, and they were just... It was like doing, like, a Scottish rite, but like an internal spiritual pageant of a Scottish rite, and it was just cool, so cool. Um, but have I ever encountered something paranormal? I have. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, someone asks you, are these things real? And you're like, they are not until they suddenly are. Um, <laughs> you can't explain it away, right? And then afterwards it sort of fades into, did I, did I, did I? What was that? Did I? Um, yeah, I, I remember it was an experience that I just personally had with um, uh, an old girlfriend of mine. And we had um, been um, enjoying each other's company and the energy that we'd built up um, obviously attracted something. Now, if you've had an experience with anything like this, you'll be like, yep. If you haven't, you'll probably think, oh, he's bullshitting us. He's, he's, he's lying. It's not true. Look, when you feel these things, when you experience these things, when uh, you feel this, the presence of these things, you know right then, uh, this, is not f this is not fake. It's like there is something there. And... It is, it's an undeniable presence that seems to communicate almost entirely. It's almost like if you could, if you walk in, you ever walk into a, have you ever had someone walk into a room and you're like, wow, that person, what on earth are they here for? I can feel what that person is, is feeling right now. Multiply that by 50. And imagine a, a language entirely comprised of emotions. Like, so complex and nuanced and you feel what they're feeling it's like you could it's like you could utter sentences with just the feeling of emotion and most of it is submit <laughs> most of it is overbearing and somewhat terrifying and what did you interpret that as oh i didn't interpret it much we just banished the Mostly, <laughs> it was um, well. It was obviously not there for my. I, I, after a great deal of retrospect, I feel it was there to feed. Usually they are, right? Um, so it, I think it was just there, gobbling up all the excess energy that we'd happened to stir up, and then we smudged the place as best we could, did lesser banishing, and away it went. Um, but it was. Undeniable when it was there. I mean, both of us were just, it was just right there, like someone walking up to you in a crowd and putting their face right up against your face. It's like, what do you want? You know, well, that's the answer to your question, Red Dragon. <laughs> and terrifying how? It's not intellectually terrifying if they can reach into your guts and make you feel terror. So... It doesn't have to be intellectually terrifying if they can just make you feel it. You are just terrified. 
that's that's all I can say. On to uh, first one. Sure. What's the uh, fundamental differences between OTO and OTA? Saw that question on this sheet, and I got to say, I'm not in the OTO, so I can't really answer that question with the minutia I think it will deserve. I do know that the OTO has a very heavy thelemic element to it. A lot of people get into the OTO; they love Crowley, um, and that's cool. That's cool. But in the OTA, we do have a much heavier emphasis, much more Golden Dawn, much more angelic-based, especially these days. I think in the old days of the OTA, you know, it was fun to be a little controversial back in the Satanic Panic era. I mean, it's fun to be controversial these days. But, no, these days it is a much more sort of – it has a great deal of I, – I wasn't a part of it back then. I can't say it has more structure – but from my perspective, it has a great deal of structure and strictures, and there's a heavy emphasis on the invocation of angels. I know many times when when I go to um, to Polk's um, temple, and, and we're thinking of you know he he, he might have uh, you know let's let's do some Goetia tonight or something like that, and then we'll check the mansions of the moon, and we're like we shouldn't. And it's like ah oh, let's just do an angel, and it usually ends up doing that. Let's just let's just do an angel, and. I, I know. So we summon all the various angels of the Sapphira or the Quarters or something like that. and yeah. It's wonderful. So I have a question about the, about the mirror. Uh, the, dark, the, the dark mirror. We, we, <laughs> yes, please talk about the dark mirror. <laughs> Whatever you would be uh, willing to share with us about the... Because from my, from my study and information on the OTA, that is definitely something that mm. is... Poke has, has developed um, a series of specific methods for um, really getting into the deep mind through the use of a mirror and the distorted reflection, as well as crystals, and just generally using almost any hypnotic focus. I have always been somewhat of a lame duck when it comes to actually being good at that mirror stuff, uh, being good at the facial distortion reflection. Um, and Pokes come across people like myself many times, and at first I, I think he thought we weren't doing the work. But it's one of the most key educational experiences, I think, especially today in the age of information, to realize people's brains do not work the same. Yeah. We don't learn the same. We don't experience things the same. We do not think the same. It's the reason why people can hold contrasting beliefs and honestly both be quite right. You know, it's the, This is the way it is for that person, the way they see it, the way they perceive it. I have always been very good at, at feeling things, being able to, like... Again, like I've always done a great deal of sort of qigong, nigong type stuff, and in, in, in engaging with the communication of these these invoked angels, for instance. For instance, whenever an angel is invoked, my forehead will tap like like that. It will like thrum and buzz specifically, um, and that's when I, I know like I've made you know this is we've, we've got contact, we've got presence. Um, and that's something specific for you? Well, specific for me, it's not necessarily for everyone else. But 
suffice to say what I'm saying is don't be discouraged if the mirror distortion doesn't immediately work for you. Um, it's valuable to continue to develop towards each one of the of the, the ways of doing things. Every occultist is going to be different, as we said. It's like herding cats. And there is really no way of stopping that. It's always the first hurdle, right? Well, I say it's, I say it's the different it's the difference between an occultist and a cultist. Mm -hmm. You know, a cultist is going to follow a leader. An occultist is not. Right. Like a, an occultist is, they tend to be the center of their own universe just by the nature of the fact of being an occultist. That's part of the doctrine. You are the center of the universe. You know, that's, uh, and from you know, you are the microcosm. Um, and that's you know, as above, so below. You are the microcosm of the macrocosm of the cosmos. And but is that an element that is different within the magical order of the OTA versus others? Because other I, I personally haven't come across too many that really focus on the dark mirror the way that... Yeah, the, the dark mirror has a great deal to do with the mysterious nature in grimoires of conjuring spirits to visible appearance. Um, how that's performed. Some magicians would have said, you've got to have the sight. And then when they're conjured, you can see them. Which is sort of like saying, you've got to be a natural, I don't know, some form of psychic. Um, but most magicians tend to be like, nah, we can figure it out. Poke system tends, poke system is about delving into the deep mind. You know, utilizing a lot of the of Western ritual magic. You know, if you're going to go off and you're going to do your own more literal interpretations of grimoire type magic, um, that is to say, for instance, you set the triangle on the floor and you attempt to conjure a spirit in smoke, maybe that will work for you. Maybe it won't. Uh, maybe you'll be discouraged. But the mirror distortion reflective, really getting into your own deep mind, you have to ask yourself why you're getting involved in many of these things. And at least for the majority of members of the OTA, it's about self-exploration, about delving into the deep mind to discover things, not to, not to mess around. You have to... You have to ha already somewhat be of a stable emotional character to join the OTA, um, which is sad because there are a lot of, um, to some degree it's sad, because there are a lot of very enthusiastic individuals, but you do need to be able to be willing to confront those demons, the ones that you have inside you, as you know, because real or psychological, if you deal with something that will just conjure your darkest fears against you, you want to have very few of your darkest fears available. It's I personally asked about that because I myself discovered from a very young age that just by staring into a mirror mm. for a certain amount of time almost evoked a... Um, obviously, it's a hypnotic... Yeah, yeah. It's element, a, but but I can remember almost getting to a point where it was difficult to know the difference between what was the viewer and what was the viewee. That's impressive. Point. So I imagine the mirror method would work exceptionally well for you. Um, it's actually um, a scientifically provable phenomenon. 
um, sometimes they don't get you to stare at a mirror. Uh, there have been tests done where you just sit and look at another person's face. Yeah, and after a while, that face will start to distort. Right. If, I mean, if you've ever seen, there's these weird little videos and GIFs and things on, online where you'll get like famous people's faces on the left and the right, and you yeah. look at a dot, and those faces will keep changing. And as they do, they start to morph in your peripheral vision, and they look of a hell of a lot like, like gray aliens, I'll tell you what, right. to me. And it makes me wonder about the, the providence of like the idea of a gray alien about... It's almost like right. a it's like a proto-human face. So anyway, that's a different subject. But these phenomena seem to be natural to the human mind as things start to morph and warp as you're staring focused but relaxed at people's faces. They start to, to alter and change. And you stare at your own face in a dim light. It doesn't even have to be a dim light. If you're really good at this, I mean, I used to give myself weird little counseling sessions in the mirror when I was a kid. You know, I'd look in the mirror and I'd immediately feel a little bit better, like that's someone a little bit more intelligent than me talking to me, <laughs> certainly someone more emotionally stable, and would, I would be able to talk essentially to myself using myself as a sounding board in many ways. I know it's complicated and bizarre and crazy, but much of this is. Um, but it was really helpful to me, at least. And things like that, I think a lot of people in their lives have things like that. Like they have phenomena like this that they do, which are peculiar to themselves. They don't tend to want to talk about them because they are undoubtedly peculiar and strange. But again, any endeavor into trying to improve yourself, into try to understand the creature that you are psychologically and physically is gonna be peculiar and strange. It's going to be uniquely yours. Uh, it's going to have its own interesting revelations that you're going to want to rush and tell everyone and no one is going to be able to connect with. Um, and you're like, oh, they're not interested. But, you know. Or you find your tribe and they all, yeah. of course, duh. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> and your tribes will come and go to a large degree. Um, again, I, I, I think why I really love the OTA is that it is, it's a, it is a place to come together to touch on with people who you know you develop a relationship with over the years some people of, in of similar interests and well well the same interests the interest in mysticism and in self exploration and improvement it's not just simply attempting to put a new fresh coat of paint on a building that's falling apart it's about really renovating things from the roots and um, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of focus so I have a comment and I have a question. Go on. Um, my first comment after discussing the whole being of the right sound mind, um, I had, just real quick, I remember us talking with Juan, and Juan uh, made a comment that anyone that is going to delve into magic should definitely see a, um, a psychotherapist yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and make sure your head's right. So yeah, right. I, always, I always think about that whenever we talk about anything like this. You need that um, balance. And my question is, how much of how much of magic do you think is a a reprogramming or a self hypnosis? You know, what what do you give to that? What do you what do you think about that? Well, that that actually opens up for me <laughs> um, a, a slightly more interesting question well sorry don't mean to say it's less okay. yeah, no. um, 
a, 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 a question, I think, which is um, what is the nature of magic? And we utilize ritual magic often. I remember when I was um, first buying my little library, one of the first books I ever purchased was um, a book by, um, it was like a, like a reprint sort of makeshift copy of Albertus Magnus's White and Black Arts. And when you read through this book, um, you swiftly realize that this isn't magic. This is like self-help prayers and farm recipes. Like he's got a recipe specifically in it for how to make your shoes repel water. It's a recipe for Scotch Guard. Um, there's another one which is it's a, rich, it's a ritual. Hey, if you see good Scotch Guard, that that is sorcery. Right. That stuff's sorcery, man. Back in the day, it was. You coat sand with that, and it's dry when it comes out. Of, that's a, that's that's some dark magic right there. But demons. There was there was another one I remember, which was how do you? It was how how to deal with how to uh, fix a um, possessed rifle, a bewitched rifle. I mean, to you, what is a bewitched rifle? What would a rifle do to show you it's being bewitched or it's possessed in some fashion? An old musket. It's jamming. Jamming, jamming going yeah, off. Jamming, randomly. going off randomly, yeah. So what maybe, would you maybe do? Maybe clean it? Yeah, maybe clean it. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe repair it. Maybe, as the recipe says, right. take it apart, mix a special oil, coat it with this oil, put it back together and put it somewhere dry, which just happens to be either a cellar or, as they say, an open grave. But it's like, yeah, that's somewhere dry. So, Okay. And then they have a bunch of recipes, most of which are about livestock, I've got to confess. And, uh, and I quickly realized, I'm like, this isn't magic. And then I thought, wait a minute. Why did I say that? Why is it not magic? What is it about the modern age which makes us take what technologies we have and somehow devalue them in that fashion? Well... I mean, it, it comes down between cause and effect, essentially, you know, where there's units, not just cause and effect. There's cause, there's an action, and there's an effect, and there's a medium in which that all takes place. And science is when you can see all of those, when you know all of those. You know the medium. You know the medium, you know the, the cause and the action and the effect. And miracles are sometimes where it's uh, as an effect, you don't understand anything else about it. And magic is when there's a cause and there's an effect, but uh, I don't know what the medium and the action is. It's mysterious. So maybe if we do this ritual this way every single time, then we're going to get this effect from the initial cause that yeah. we had. Yeah, and, some, and there are a lot of theories that will crop up as to what connects the cause and the effect. I mean, obviously, that's you know, even the God of the Gaps theory comes yeah. up with that. You know, it's trying to connect these numinous and wondrous causes and effects. What's the action? What's the medium that permits all of this stuff? And that, for me, is the difference between magic and science. It's the same thing. It's just science is more, understand, more comprehensive understanding about precisely what's going on. And then again, I don't think the universe owes us an explanation for how it works. And if it decides to be anomalous, it's just going to do that. 
And if it decides to not make sense to us, it's not going to make sense to us. And a large portion, I think, of, of, of like talismanic magic going in those directions. Um, it's a sort of a kind of matter. It's sort of like, you know, when the secret came out. You know, it's basically talismanic magic light. But it's magic. And, of course, magic is constantly invoked in religious, all religious ceremonies. It's a conceit to think that just because you're part of a mainstream religion that you're not using some form of ancient magic. I mean, I, I quite enjoy going to Catholic Mass occasionally because I enjoy the ritual. But it is a ritual. And it is as simple as that. If you want to change your body, well, there are certain rituals you have to go through, aren't there? Certain actions you have to perform, certain things you have to imbibe, certain smells you're going to encounter, certain entities you're undoubtedly going to be encouraged or discouraged by, certain ritual spaces that you're going to invest yourself in. And this is just, for me, it's the communication between the, the mind and the body. And that is really, I think, where... I mean, to me, the mind is like... The relationship between the mind and the body is like a relationship between the ocean of the body and the bubbles of the intellectual mind that float on the top. And because it's on the top, it thinks it's in control. But it's nothing more than the bubbles that froth up from underneath, completely at the whims. That, I think, is really important in understanding psychological issues of today. I mean, your ocean, in order to get involved in the magic, should be as calm as possible. You know, your body, your chemistry, your mental state, you don't want it to already be raging and then start extra swishing around in the waters of the deep mind. But the language that allows the mind to communicate with the body is that the mind can set things up in advance, that the body has to go through and when the body has to go through a ritual scenario, it must change. It just will change. Otherwise, the mind has absolutely no power over the body for the most part. It's all just interpretation, meaning-making, and conceit. So, Well, there's debates about that, with the subconscious actually being in control of everything, and that's part of what reprogramming... And well, that's what I mean by the ocean. The ocean is like that, is, you know, the, the, the unconscious, the deep, deep... Yeah deep mind and body. Controlling stuff that we don't even have a clue about, so tapping into figuring out how to... Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, just the rational thought, like whimsy. I mean, it's the reason why you can't just quit smoking by going, I'm going to stop today. It's, mm, no, the body is going to keep going. Um, and you either don't... You, know, and you, you may be... Like, cold turkey is one of the hardest things for any addict to do, and that's... There's a reason for that, I think. Anyway, any more questions? Well, we have another question. Dog, please. Uh, so, do you have a favorite angel or spirit uh, to work with? Yes, my holy guardian angel. Okay. I'm not supposed to t speak. I, I, so, their what, name. You, what you what you can, I, I guess. However, you can answer that. It's always going to be. It's that's always going to be your favorite spirit to work with. Awesome. It's always like once you've made that connection, whether it's. Just not whether it's communication or true knowledge and communication, and they mean knowledge biblically. Like you bond with it, like it it is it you become one. That's the that's the idea. How would you uh, for our viewers out there, if they were to take their steps to 
identify um, their angel or spirit? What steps can they take? Oh, um, well, one of the preliminary things that is done is to acquire a working name. Of <laughs> Mine was very... Of course, very reticent to give their name. Um, they gave me a poem, of all things, that I had to recite every time instead of the name. Um, but it was a very beautiful poem. Um, but still, you there are methods both with the pendulum and with tarot cards. I use tarot cards, specifically the trumps, but you, you deal them to get a working name. Each one of the tarot cards has a Hebraic um, syllable. That is, at least the Trumps do. Yeah, the Trumps do. I don't know whether the, the lesser guys do. Um, I'm not very good with Taro. I know it's it's appalling, but I'm more of a geomancy kind of guy, um, which is interesting. Anyway, it's like the Western I Ching, um, but brutal, as is typical. I'm really brutal, um, as only medieval systems can be. You can use a pendulum to try and get a working name. Um, and you, I feel you have to do as many purifications and banishments as you can. The actual ritual itself is meant to be, as the Book of Abramelin says, the simplest thing that it can possibly be. And that is, it's basically purification, self-deprivation, and prayer. And the deprivation is basically you're, you're telling yourself, it's like that, that biblical passage, the man shall not need not live on bread alone, but every word that issues from the mouth of God. And that's essentially the state you want to get into. That whole 40 days in the desert was basically Christ's Abramelin ritual, if I can be so bold. Um, it happens to meet the devil, but then you will. When you start testing yourself, um, you will... Every possible vice that you ever developed in your life is going to bubble back up. Is going to tempt you with everything. And you have to say no. And you have to keep saying no, and you have to keep saying no to absolutely everything. And our ritual, I know, is, is rather truncated, although I would advocate that people do a great deal of, of soul-searching before they do it regardless. Um, the ritual itself takes place only over the course of three days, three intense days, but... Um, you should spend a great deal of time before that. I mean, there's no eating and there's like no sleeping during those three days. Um, and <laughs> no sleeping was a little easier for an old insomniac like myself. Um, no eating was an interesting thing. Um, but just that self, it, it gets you there. Have another question? <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's see. Um, in your opinion, do you feel the divine goddess is more interwoven in today's society than it has uh, in past civilizations? And have we lost the true way of worshipping and honoring our gods? No, two questions. Um, no. Um, the divine... It depends on what you consider to truly be the divine goddess... Um, it's sort of like the, the archetypal um, Morrigan, the mother yes. maiden crone, um, specifically because those are the three great female archetypes. And, of course, it's controversial for any male these days to discuss 
subjects that are specifically pertinent to female spirituality, and these undoubtedly are. Um, they're archetypes which men have mostly encountered with reverence and fear, I think ostensibly because humanity exists for the women. And, the, I mean, they are the heart of humanity in many ways. Uh, without them, there is no, of course, there is no, of course, without men, there's no humanity as well. But, you know, we can do with less men, but you, a tribe can't do with less women. Um, it's, women are the, the, the heart of the tribe and the heart of any, anything that spreads out from the tribe, whether that's religious or spiritual or what. And the divine goddess is going to be this archetype of absolute femininity. Whatever that may mean to you individually, because we, we do get very, almost too relativistic with things these days. Um, we sometimes uh, disassociate from traditions of the past before I think we've explored whether they're still necessary or not, and I think that's not a good thing. Um, some traditions exist to make sure that you don't have to find things out yourself. Um, other traditions, of course, are relics, vest vestiges of, of times we no longer require. But yeah, it's not for me to, just, to, to give examples of that. Um, but the goddess... Um, I don't think we're more connected these days. I think we're more... Um, I think there's a great deal, almost... It's almost too... Uh, almost monkey mind civilization these days about these things. There's almost too many versions of the Supreme Goddess to some degree. Of course, everyone has their own interpretation, yes. But I think we argue a little bit too much with each other about how you should interpret the goddess my way. But no, it's uh, it's not an easy subject to brooch, essentially. But so, what role does the sacred goddess play within the OTA? Is there a role? Well, Polk started the OTA because partially because he also wanted to really reintroduce the feminine aspect to Western ritual magic, which had been somewhat excised um, over the course of it going through the Victorian era. Patriarchal societies of the Victorian... Specifically the Victorian era in Europe. Um, like immediately before then, it wasn't... It was... It, the females had a great deal more yeah. role. I think there's a misconception that women... For thousands of years, no. It was sort of like this little tiny bottleneck which yeah. we're still reeling from. Victorian society definitely played a major yeah. role in the suppression of... Yes, it did. And it also, we have a lot of hangovers these days from that era of thinking that it was... Absolutely. You know. But... Um, was, Polk wanted to reintroduce... Yes, he wanted to reintroduce the goddess because essentially during... Uh, magical ritual, it is certainly the Order's opinion, um, and basically what I mean to say that is it's Polk's opinion, and it is generally anyone who's experienced its opinion, that you need a, you need a priestess. You don't necessarily need a priest, but you do need a priestess, 
Um, and it's good to have that mix of both masculine and feminine energies in a ritual. Now, there is that in man which is feminine and that in females which is masculine, of course, and that all the secrets shall be unlocked unto you. But um, when it comes to like, the actual seasonals and things like that, I mean, I've, I have seen women do gods, and I have, I believe I have seen some women do like the priest roles occasionally, but I don't believe I've ever truly seen a man do the priestess. Essentially, if the priestess is in absentia, she's just in absentia. Um, it's uh, very important for, for ritual magic in many regards, both to balance it philosophically speaking and also to balance it, I would say, energetically speaking. Um, and so does that is that still something that is part of the OTA? Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. So that's maintained. Yes. Oh yes, I, I believe I believe I got grilled about that when I suggested that a, that a man might uh, take the office of priestess uh, once. Uh, no. no. So um, no. you're wrong. No. <laughs> no. Uh, but that's okay. Um, I'm regularly wrong. Um, but that's okay. I mean, I mean it genuinely. It's the first step in learning, right? Oh, yes. I think the closest that I personally ever saw to that role was at a shamanic experience that I had where there was a shaman and an assistant shaman, and the shaman had a very masculine energy, and the assistant shaman was a man but had more of a feminine energy, and, and it, was, it was a very give yeah. and take amongst the two of them. But, I mean, obviously I'm just interjecting. Look, if it works, it works. That's the way it is. I mean, that would be a contestable thing for any skeptic to hear. But if you've been involved in these things, if it works, it works. It works, right. Um, Formula works. Um, but for the most part, well, it's also nice having a priestess around. Just saying. <laughs> so, um, first of all, let's talk... I know we're probably going to need to wrap up pretty soon. Or, okay, we're going to. Okay, good, bit. good. So, so one thing we we have a note down here about a Masonic tie-in. Can you? Yeah, yeah. Can you give us any information? Well, there are considerable Masonic tie-ins. I mean, there are many Freemasons in the OTA. I think that's partially because um, people who are interested in joining the OTA also tend to be interested in being Freemasons. It includes co-masons, so that we actually have a few co-masons, female co-masons, who are involved in that. It's just sort of, you can't ignore Masonic influences when it comes to the maintaining and development of magical systems throughout the, well, past 300 years. You just, you just can't. Uh, the Krata Rapoa, of course, the initiatory system that Poke uses, was developed as a free Masonic system at least sometime in order to be, again, like a Scottish Rite type thing. Uh, when it comes to um, the Golden Dawn um, tends to be, is, has a, a lot of very structured ceremonies and um, regalia and things like that. And the OTA, um, for the longest time, has gone, I think, through phases where it has had and has not had um, as the membership has waxed and waned and fresh and new interesting information has come and gone, um, 
and uh, but these days um, it is becoming a lot more structured in that fashion. I think our goal is at some point to be able to actually have very much lodge-based practices that people can come and partake in, at least it's like the lower sort of the initiatory levels, which is very angelic and meditation-based, um, middle pillar-based type exercises, um, which I highly recommend doing middle pillar for anyone. It's basically the Western version of um, uh, chakra meditation. Um, and it starts, and I, I, honestly, I've, I've found a great deal of benefit in doing the middle pillar more than, you know, the traditional chakra exercises of coming from the base and going up and um, coming from the top and going down. I found much more, has opened me up a lot more. Um, I'd say it's, it's really been much more profound. Um, but yeah, the Krata Rapoa is a Masonic, tra- is a Masonic tradition. And you can kind of see that. Then there are no female positions in the original Krata Rapoa scripts. Manly P. Hall wrote about it. Um, there's a couple of other books that write about it. Not a lot, actually. It hasn't been explored that much. Um, um, initiation into the... was it? Uh, I can't remember. I'm sorry. Um, but... I know there are some other older ancient rites that I was talking with some of these guys about that that um, the research I was doing involved some involvement with um, with uh, acacia root and and some other components that essentially created a ayahuasca type of a brew and that there were some older rituals that had Masonic tie-ins with with part of the uh, with part of the ceremony so I don't know if it comes from that type of a, uh, those times or not I think there have been many occult revivals over the past few hundred years and we well the past few thousand years to be honest but I think um, we remember the more prolific practitioners and writers more than we really remember the movements which they were steeped in we do, of course, remember the early 20th century, the Alice A. Baileys and Alistair Crowleys and McGregor Mathers of the early... And they... they We remember a lot more of that. Obviously, we more information. But we probably don't quite remember, like, in the 1500s, where there was Agrippa and Magnus and Paracelsus and and Johannes Weyer and things like that. And, and it seemed to be, again, another kind of revival. And it, it probably happened many, many times. Probably happened roughly at the same time when um, when Freemasonry was becoming really lodge-based and um, and uh, Krata Rapo was being developed. And there was, again, a broadening of information in regards to everything, which includes, again, always some degree of narcotics. I mean, I know in some of the suffumigations of Saturn in Agrippa's works, there are some pretty heavy narcotics that are involved that you burn. And yeah, you'll see some spirits on that. Um, but when it comes to the specific specificity of what you've said, I'm not 100% certain in regards to... Like the acacia root I know is, has dimethyltryptamine in it, and you can extract dimethyltryptamine from that. And DMT has, thankfully, thanks to a lot of podcasts and people like of course good old good old joe um really bringing it to people's attention well rick strassman did the the the, uh the spirit molecule 
too, as an actual scientist that did a lot of, um, did some case studies with large groups of people and did some actual yeah. nice science behind trying to interpret the experiences yeah. that people were. Yeah, I mean, as, as Joe Rogan often says, sometimes in this comedy that we were just a bunch of monkeys, we ate some mushrooms, and here we are. Right. Uh, stone ape theory. <laughs> the stone, stone ape theory. theory. I really believe you know, that. It's, you know, well, you got to think somebody ate it first, right? Well, Others probably watched well, and was my, like, whoa. The, the greatest Someone thing, ate the chili first. That's more of a mystery right. to me. <laughs> right. The, the most interesting thing as far as, as taking, consuming mind-altering substances that animals throughout all different animal species mimic they those do behaviors. Do it, yes. mm. Whether it be dolphins chewing on the puffer fish cat or, the, with catnip. or the cats with catnip the you know actually the pumas i guess in south america will go to where the vines grow huh. and have the dmt and consume so it's you know apparently human beings have been getting trashed longer than we've been human beings yeah uh that would imply to me that there is some evolutionary benefit to getting wasted um i can vouch for that um <laughs> I think there's a survival of the fittest. I think those who survive knew how to get wasted right. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, do we have any more online questions, or do you want to? Uh... Online's done. Online's done. No, oh, it. We have oh. um, Why don't we? Why don't we start to wrap it up? Why don't you tell us? Uh, give us some information for our viewers about um, if people are interested in becoming part of the order I have, a, can... I have a question oh, well, so yes. uh, uh, we, we talked about OTA we talked about Golden Dawn OTO hmm. um, if one had a choice to go between the three what would be the first one that they probably should do is there an order oh there's no first one I that know, you should I do um, what would you recommend as somebody who's I I would say, well if you go if guy you who's not involved in the OTO right, <laughs> right. Not, not the OTO but from what you hear sorry and, and uh, yeah I can't I'm I'm also not a Golden Dawn acolyte um, I'm not in I mean I'd like to be and I probably will Does I've been to know somebody who's been part of the Golden Dawn oh uh, maybe maybe right? maybe, so maybe a you few think would be maybe you know would they well I, I know people who are involved in both or in the OTO and the and the Golden Dawn um, and um, and um, I would say that from what I know um, of the, the OTO tends to, seems to be, to me, um, a little more edgy. It's a little bit more left-hand pathy, a little bit more thalemic, crowley. Um, and if that's your cup of tea, okay. I mean, it's not mine. Um, as I say, having encountered things which can just conjure gut-fearing terror in you, I don't wish to just toy around in an edgy fashion. Um, I feel structure and caution is important. Other people might be like, meh, let's just do it. No. And um, okay, um, I think that's a short path of, it's like a long walk off a short pier. Let's say that. I think it's it's not, but that's not the that's not a condemnation of the OTO. Obviously, the OTO is doing something right; otherwise, it wouldn't have existed for as long as it has. Um, and it, it exists in multiple countries, and that's 
obviously doing something right. It's not easy to get that kind of dedication. It's not easy to get that kind of structure and that kind of uh, organization. Um, most organizations fall by the wayside. The moment the founder and anyone who's a mover and shaker is gone, they're gone too. And that's, it's heartbreaking, but that's just the way it goes. The Golden Dawn has a certain uh, authority to it because of the Golden Dawn of the early 20th century. It's not the continue, like the absolute continuation, because that Golden Dawn I know ended. And the newer Golden Dawn is like a recreation of that, but it's still been going on for quite some time. And it is an authentic attempt to, to obviously re engage with that. And the rituals do tend to be taken directly from that era. And I feel as though, when I've read through them at least, they have a certain attitude to them. And that tends to be um, a lengthy attitude. But if you happen to like very lengthy and um, wordy rituals, it will absolutely be your cup of tea. It is certainly more thergic, which is to say more divine-oriented, whereas the OTA, I would say, you might consider it a kind of a middle ground in a way. Uh, we, of course, have members from all of them. Um, and it is very praxis-based. Um, and because of that, we have people who have all kinds of different praxis, uh, it's very based in, aside from the rituals where we come together, it's definitely more thaumaturgical in a way, as well as thurgical, depending on what your cup of tea is. The main rituals themselves tend to be kind of thurgic, certainly angelic, but it's a definite practical deep dive into Western ritual magic. And... I will say, uh, for the viewers still watching, that one of the things that we have attempted to do is that um, specifically one of the, my contributions to the OTA, that I've, my contribution to one of, my, one of the brothers, um, uh, Freda Solomon, uh, has been to, um, and um, one of the other sisters as well, um, has been to, um, has been essentially by the time you hit fourth degree in the OTA, you will have all of those hard-to-acquire items that the uh, Key of Solomon insists that you have. And if you've ever gone through that and actually itemized it, you're like, how am I going to get that? Well, if you go through the OTA um, and you make it through to fourth degree, you go past you know, the first degree and the, the second degree and you go through the, the Holy Guardian Angel Retreat and you get into the fourth degree, by the time you get there, you should have the training and the equipment in order to do Solomonic magic, both in the order and, of course, at home, you know, wherever you wherever you go. So, so yeah. Good answer. Do you have any other questions? You did. Uh, you I, did I was starting to wrap it up. You did want. Sorry. You did want me to say how people get in contact with the OTA. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Give us that. So um, we have. We do have a website. Um, just look up Order Template Estate uh, on Google because, shamefully, I can't remember the exact URL. That's okay. I'm sure we can uh, get that in. Supply yeah, link. We'll have it in the links. The power of links. Um, the link appearing right um, now. You'll see on the contact us, there'll be just pretty much an email. Just send an email with a heartfelt message of why you would like to be involved with the OTA. 
uh, taking into account all the various things I've said this evening and you know whether it's for you, uh, whether you feel as though you are ready for that, um, and we'll get back to you. And what kind of commitment do people, will people expect to, as far as time and, and, and going through the process of there are, the there are There are a lot of exercises, and for the most part, you will need to come to a temple in order to have the initiations. We have a few of them around, and you can always email and find out where they are. Um, we have some hermitages, which are capable of initiating individuals, um, dotted in various places throughout the United States. One of the things that I've always wanted to do was bring it to Australia, when eventually, whenever that be, I move back to Australia, if and when that is, but it's one of my goals is to actually take it back to Australia to do that. Um, but we have a couple of lodges in Texas, I know. We had some in Pennsylvania. I don't know whether they've gone dark or not. Um, and we had, um, we have some, we have many in California, of course. We have some in Pasadena, um, Silverado Canyon, and some in... Still. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, Silverado is the main, is like, you could say it's the Grand Lodge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And some in Joshua Tree. Great. Um, anything else you want to close it up with? Let our viewers know. Oh, uh, um, I'm better at answering questions than I am at uh, <laughs> I am at proffering information. But uh, well, then um, I guess I'll wrap it up here. Unless uh, James, has I, I'm done with my questions. To... <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I go all night, but yes, indeed. Uh, thank you very much, Max, thank you. for joining us. You're very, very welcome. Uh, I'm not Mike, so I don't have all the usual. Mike Spiel with his uh, his props that he sends out and all that stuff. I, I'll just give a quick shout out because I'm wearing Johnny's shirt after our last episode of going to see uh, Johnny and get our tattoos done. So, brother Johnny, thanks. It was a good time that we had out there with you, and we look forward to spending more time there. Um, all of our viewers, thank you for uh, tuning you. in as usual, and um, and I guess uh, also. Those that were at Esotericon, big thanks to everyone that attended Esotericon, and be sure to keep an eye out for that next year when we do Esotericon 2. Definitely. In the meantime, thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks.